Just wanted to tell you a quick story that Jesus told. There was this big banquet, kind of like the one we're having next week. And um, if, you, if you were late, you don't know of this banquet, not the one that Jesus talked about, but the one that we're having next week. And Jesus said, go out and invite you know, all these people. And the one man said, well, I'm going to get married. I can't come. And the other man said, I, I'm going to buy some oxen. I can't come. And another man said, um, I bought some land. I can't come. And so Jesus went out and he invited everybody, the poor people and, and the people that, the has-beens, and they came. And when everybody else wanted to come, well, it was too late. And here's my little word of encouragement to you, that if you come next week and you come to this room, well, the banquet is not going to be here. It's going to be down the hall. And if you missed the announcements because you were too late, I'm sorry. But just a gentle reminder, um, as people walk in late, um, we, have, we, th- we have things that, like Evan announced, I sure would hate for you to miss them, miss out on the fellowship that we're having, especially if you were to walk into an empty room. That'd be a bummer. But uh, it's good to see everybody. Hey, good to see you. Anyways, that was awkward. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, my name's Andy. If it's your first time here, Welcome. It's, good. it's good, to see, good to see brothers and sisters in the fellowship with you. Um, good, I'm glad we got that slide up. This evening we're going to be studying uh, who is Jesus. And when, I, when we use the word who is Jesus, like right now, like who is he right now? Last week Tanner did a very good job of going through the Old Testament and even before the Old Testament and pointing out that Jesus was not ju- excuse me not just a man in time 2000 years ago but he is eternal God and he looked before, even before creation and then um what we would do if we had more time is we would spend a week looking at pre incarnate Jesus, and then we would spend a week looking at Jesus in the flesh, and then we'd spend another week looking at who he is now. But we spent all last year looking at, uh, we looked at that verse, 1 John 2, 6, if you claim to abide in him, you should also walk as he walked. So we, we walked through the Gospels and we looked at the person of Jesus, who he was as our example this week's going to be a little bit different. Um, I think sometimes as a, that uh, God puts things in my life so that I can use them to illustrate it, maybe to you or to people I'm talking about. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, I told you, like I tuck my kid, I, two boys, I tuck them in, three boys, tuck the two in bed every night, and... Um, that, that Rhett, my oldest boy, who's five, says the funniest things. Like, he, he'll catch you off guard. Um, one night where I'm laying in bed, just kind of laying in the bed. They got the boys right here. And Rhett, this is a while ago, Rhett says, uh, hey, Daddy. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, who do you love more, me or Jesus? Like, it's one of those moments where you're just like, how do you answer that? And so I gave him a long explanation. of, I'm like, well, Rhett, 
I love Jesus more. And, he, and if I love Jesus more, he gives me more love for you. And he was pretty satisfied with that. And the next morning he got up and he's like, hey, mom, guess what? And she, Jen's like, what, Rhett? He's like, I love Jesus more than you. <laughs> and Jen's like, it caught her off guard for a second. And then she was like, oh, uh, good, that's good. But last night, and I think this stuff happens so that I can tell you, because um, it has something to do with what we're talking about. Last night, um, there's, I have two bunk beds, so I'm kneeled down in between them, and I'm, I'm going to pray with my boys. And um, they all, like, climb in my lap to pray. And it's not because, like, they're, like, holy little boys who want to get on their knees. It's because they think it's a good excuse to get out of bed. So they come, and they crawl, crawl on me, and we're, I pray for them. And then sometimes they pray, too. And then uh, last night, Rhett, I go, amen. And Rhett said, uh, hey, Dad, wouldn't it be cool if... Um, like we were praying, and uh, when we opened our eyes, like Jesus was right there, and we were talking to him. And I was like, what? And he said, wouldn't that be cool? And I asked him twice. I said, if we were praying, and um, like we close our eyes, and we're praying, we open up, and Jesus is like sitting there with us. And I'm like, this is one of those times as a dad, I'm like, well, Rhett, Jesus is right here with us. God is with us. And he goes, I know, Dad, he's right there. <laughs> and he points to this spot beside him. And I was like, what? And he goes, he's right there. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like and it, this thought crossed my mind, like, I wonder if like, he's seeing things. <laughs> and I said, why do you say that? And he said, because the Bible says that he's right beside us. He never leaves us. And that's right beside me. <laughs> and I was like, that's good, Rhett. That's good. But, uh, you know, I think stuff like that happens sometimes. And it, it gets me to thinking, like, if we were to close our eyes and open them, and Jesus was standing right here, what do you picture him looking like? Isn't it, isn't it funny how, um, like, I ha- it's not that picture. That's Brooke's idea of what Jesus looks like. I have a different mental in my head, but I think everybody has got like an idea of what Jesus looks like. What does he look like? Why is that even important to talk about? This is, this is, one, of, this is one of those evenings where like I've kind of debated like, like, are we like just like talking about things that don't matter? Like what Jesus looks like? I think it matters a lot. Um, one, because it's in the Bible, and you'll see what I mean. But two, if you don't know what Jesus is like, how will you know if a false Jesus comes? There's a lot of people who talk about Jesus. The truth is, is are they talking about the true Jesus? That's the whole letter of 1 John. They were cool with the idea of Jesus, but they had totally missed the true Jesus. Jesus is a very good, um, excellent teacher, <laughs> really good teacher. And if you'll, if you'll watch how he teaches, he asks very good questions. Learn a lesson from that. Learn a lesson from Jesus. He, he asks good questions. And he's talking to his disciples one day, and he says to them, 
Um, he had just been with the masses, the large group of people, and he said, hey guys, who, who do people say that I am? Remember what they said? Well, they said, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. That's a compliment. Somebody said to you, man, you remind me of John the Baptist. That'd be a kind of a compliment. Some, some say that um, you're Elijah. That's another compliment. And I've had that song because of Tanner stuck in my head all week. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. So when I, when I read this in my studies, I was like, Tanner, cool. But some say you're Jeremiah, raised from the dead. And others say you're prophets. And if you'll notice that all of those men, they're good guys. John the Baptist, man, people followed John they turned from the Pharisees, and they, were, they wanted to know what John was teaching. And they thought that maybe Jesus was the reincarnated John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's a compliment. Um, Elijah. Elijah's message was, these are the days um, when the Lord is coming. He's coming. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. <laughs> That was Elijah's message. You'd better pay attention. God's coming back. Maybe that's who Jesus is. Maybe it's Jeremiah, the prophet who lamented in sorrow. Maybe he's the re- maybe it's him reincarnated. Or maybe it's just one of the prophets. You see, all of these ideas of Jesus are good. They're all kind of marginalized, and they're all wrong. And that's what the world does today. They give, if you think about how people talk about Jesus, sometimes they say very good things about him. That doesn't mean they're right. They say very safe things about them, about who Jesus is. That doesn't mean they're accurate. Maybe in, tr- maybe in part, but not completely. That's a problem. If your clock is off by two minutes, you could miss a very important date. If your clock is off by two hours, you're going to be like, that clock's wrong. But when we speak of who Jesus is, do you know who he is? And I know you're thinking, well, he's God, he's our Savior. Yeah, but John, when John closed his eyes, and he thought of Jesus. And Paul closed his eyes. I wonder what they thought he looked like. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, you know, Buddhism, they're pretty cool with Jesus. They think that, you know, Jesus was a, a good teacher. He taught a lot of the same things as the Buddha. He was a good man. Hinduism believes that Jesus was the incarnation of God, like Krishna, he was a wise man. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is the Archangel Michael. That's pretty powerful. Universalism believes that Jesus was a great teacher and an incarnation of God's love, an expression of God's love. And you talk to most people and you ask them, who is Jesus? And right away their minds go to, well, he, if there was a Jesus was a very good guy. He was wise. He was a good teacher. 
He had good morals, and they always think in the past tense. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, uh, but who do you say that I am? You see, the masses, the great, all the crowds of people, they're nice, and they still are nice, somewhat. But they're wrong. The masses were wrong then. They were very wrong. They were very generous, but they were wrong. And what they said was a lie. And what they said, if you believed it, it would condemn you. It's the same today. If you believe the wrong things about Jesus, you've got the wrong Jesus. Another thing with the same name. That's a big deal. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to those who believed in him, who knew him, he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's my question for you tonight. What do you think Jesus is like? Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And I I bet you a lot of you would affirm that. And there are other cults that would affirm that too because they have little nuances. So we're going to look into tonight who is Jesus. And we're going to have to divide this up into two sections. And um, my first thing tonight is who he is. And then the next time we get together after our cornucopia of delight will be, what is he doing? And what he is doing directly impacts the fruit that what you should be doing. So tonight is the root, who he is. Next, two weeks from now, What's he doing? And that's going to impact what you're doing. So, let's, let's, uh, let's dig in here. The three things... Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, Jesus asked his disciples that. I've asked you that. And, I'll, and what I'm afraid of is that a lot of times as believers, and I've done this myself, when I think of who Jesus is, and I, I, I have these wonderful songs that the guys led us in this evening, my mind goes to past tense. And I think, once again, I look upon the cross where you died, and um, I think of the cross, and I think of Jesus, and my mind goes way back then. But we looked at God's eternality. It's also a lot to do with Jesus. That Jesus is not just then. He, and that cross did not just have an impact then. It is alive and well, and that Jesus is alive and well today. And you cannot think of him. You can think of him as your example before he died. But tonight, when you think of who he is, you look at who you worship. You worship that you worshiped Jesus of the Gospels. He was your example, but tonight we look at this is your savior. He was your savior, he's still your savior. Let's look at let's look at who he is. Um, the three things that I'd like you to take away this evening. I think it's three things that every Christian should know. Jesus Christ right now has a resurrected physical and glorified body right now. 
right now. Not, not then, yes then, not just then, but now. He has a resurrected, physical, and glorified body. Do you ever think about that? Like right now, Jesus is someplace. He's not just an idea like Santa Claus. Sometimes we put Jesus in the same category as Santa Claus where you like, you talk about him like he's real. You, you, think, you sing songs at Christmas about him. But when it comes down to it, you know in your heart that there's no Santa Claus. Do you ever put Jesus in there, that category? But right now, Jesus has a body that is resurrected and is glorified, and it's, he is someplace right now. The scripture says he's at the right hand of the Father. We'll talk about that later. Why is it important? As Christians, you know, we spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, thinking about the cross. Man, that's, that's good. But a part of that package is that he did not just die. Like he said, he rose again. God rose him on the third day. Why is the resurrection, why is it important for a Christian to acknowledge that Jesus has a resurrected body? Why couldn't, uh, people struggle with that. I have no problem thinking of a man who died and it was the expression of love and made great claims and people stop there. But Jesus said, no, you can't stop there. I'm coming back. I'm going to be resurrected. I want to read to you a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. How big a deal is it that Christ has a resurrected body? This is how big. 1 Corinthians 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Is that a big deal? And if Christ is not risen, then first our preaching is empty. If Christ is not risen, then what I have to say from Scripture is just gibberish. That's what Paul said. And second, your faith is empty. What I have got to say is gibberish, and all the things that you believe, they're empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. That's a big deal. If the resurrection is not for real, then I'm a liar. You have an empty life, and we are false witnesses before God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. We say that God's a liar. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. You put your faith in Christ, he has not risen, you're dead. Done. And then verse 19, 
If in this hope that we have, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Is it a big deal, the resurrection? It's huge. You don't have the resurrection, you don't have the gospel. You can't play with scripture and take some of what Jesus said and not the other. The fact that Jesus has a resurrected body right now is huge. Um, let me read something from you I was encouraged by in Acts 1.3. When Jesus rose again, I like this verse and I'll tell you why. When Jesus rose again, people did not put their faith in him because they saw his face in the clouds, okay? People didn't put their faith in him and believe that he was resurrected because Peter thought that he saw a fleeting glimpse of the Christ as he walked downtown. He didn't, he didn't have any toast that looked like Jesus. Remember that? There was no weird shapes. This is what happened. We'll start with verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself alive after his sufferings by many, by many infallible proofs, proofs that are undisputable, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That is no fleeting glance of a supposed resurrected Jesus. Like Jesus made it clear. He made it clear that he had returned from the grave. And people would say, well, how do we know he died? And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there was no, um, like God, in his graciousness, he made it very clear, and not to just a couple people, to many people. Another testimony of the resurrection is if you look at history, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know what pops up? The church. The church is a great testimony of the resurrected Christ. You see, here's the cross. You know what's before the cross? No church. Here's the cross. After the church, the church is there. Like, where did it come from? Where did this group of people who all of a sudden worship through Christ, God, and they're willing to, to, die, for the, to die for it? In fact, you kill the people and they grow. Somebody said that what, martyrdom is the seed of the gospel. That is an amazing testimony. Think of the disciples, the, the writers of, of even the gospels. Think of how they lived and then think of how they died. Man, these men had, had, had been changed by something. 
They had seen Christ. They had been changed so much that they're in prison, and me and Dan were talking about that this week. They're in prison, and they're just, they count life as worthless. They get beat, and they're like, they're singing praises. They're in jail, they're, they're sound asleep. They could be killed the next day, they're sleeping. What would do that to a man? I'll tell you what would do that to a man. They knew that their Savior was alive and that this was not the end. Do you have that testimony? Can, are you that bold? That's why we ha- God has given us Scripture. So we can have that same, we see their testimony and the spirit that is within us reads this and it's like, oh yeah, that's good. Many infallible proofs for a long time, 40 days, and not to just one person, but to many. Let's keep, talk, let's keep talking. Um, why else is it important that we look at Jesus' resurrected body? Romans 8.11 says this, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, if Christ has a resurrected body and you see that example, Paul said "That's, that's you. That is what will happen to you. The spirit that rose Christ from the dead raises believers from the dead. I love studying Jesus just through those lenses alone and thinking, huh, if, if I wonder if the things that they saw in Jesus, how that will impact me um, in my future. 1 Corinthians 15, let me read this to you. For the first man was of the earth, Adam, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So you have Adam, you have Christ. You have the man of the earth, you have the man from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are all those who were made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image, as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of of the heavenly man. You see, you were born like Adam. But if you're a believer, you bear the image now of Christ, of the heavenly man. And you watch this heavenly man and you learn something about your future. The first thing we learn is that you will also be resurrected by the Spirit. What is the next thing we learn? Christ has a resurrected, second, this is important, he has a physical body. It's not, I heard a testimony at the beginning of this year, um, it was a young lady who said, you know, I always thought Jesus was just a spirit. Like I thought he was kind of like a a ghost who walked the earth and kind of spooky. And then somebody said, no, he was actually a real man. Like, like God became a man. And she said, at that point, I realized the gospel was true. There, there was and is now many people who believe that Jesus was just a spirit. He didn't have 
flesh. He did, and he still does. Like right now, Jesus has flesh. Why is that important? Let's look at, um, well, first, let's look, let's, let's look at some proofs. 1 Corinthians 15, remember that. This is important, 1549. We also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. This has ramifications for you and your future. Um, Luke 24, turn there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 24, 37. Go to 36. Now, as, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and they said to him, peace to you, and, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to let you think that. It's important that you know that I'm not just a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold, Look at my hands. Touch my hands. Touch, behold my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. Put your hand on me. (laughs) And see, for spirits do not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Like right now, Jesus has a body that that is flesh and bones. That's important. Jesus wanted these people to, he wanted you to know that. Um, It's important because that's also our future too. Um, Let's look at another place. Go to 1 John 4. Why is it a big deal that we, we spend time looking at Jesus he ate. He said, give me some of that fish. Give me some of that honey. He actually ate. Did he need to eat? No, he didn't need to eat, but he did eat. So his, so his resurrected body that was physical didn't need food, but it, he could eat. Okay, First John 4. Pastor Brian showed me this verse. wanted to share it with you. 4. Two, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. That word right there, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's called a perfect verb. That means it was true, and it is true, and it continues to be true. It's perfected. It's completed. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, period. We look, and John wants to make a point. He was fighting something called... Docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, something like that. And um, the lie was that Jesus was just a spirit. So they had a name. They said good things. They believed there was a Jesus, but they believed that the Jesus was a spirit. 
You see, that's a whole different Jesus. And, and John says, no, these, this is Antichrist. This Jesus must have flesh. Go to 2 John um, Seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. It's a big deal that we see that Jesus Christ was a man who was in the flesh. He died and he still has flesh. Why is that a big deal? Because if Jesus was not a man, then your debt could not be paid. Because the debt of my sin was a human man problem. How are we going to reconcile that? We can't. So Jesus, who is God, Philippians 2, puts on flesh and he pays the debt. Now if he's not a man, then the debt has not been paid. John says, he is a man. And if anybody tells you different, it's a lie. It is Antichrist. Two, it's a big deal because Jesus said so. Three, it's a big deal because John said, I touched him. Believe me. Like, I touched the guy. So if they're saying that there is Jesus and he's a spirit, I'm telling you, I put my hand on him. It was no spirit. I saw him eat. He ate fish. He ate, what did he, Adriel, what else did he eat? We, we had this conversation one morning, Remember? Honey, I think it was honey one time. I forget. Um, let's keep let's keep moving. Was it wine? But he will. Let's go to. Uh, here's a question for you. Do you think Jesus is recognizable? Have you ever thought about that? You think he's recognizable? Do you think the disciples? when they saw Jesus, recognized him. I was surprised by this. Go to Luke 24, 13. Okay, this is a story of two, two, I believe, the disciples are walking. And it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. That amazes me. And he's talking to them and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? I think there's some humor in that. Like Jesus is walking with these people. He's like, what's wrong, guys? What's the problem? I think Deontay could do a good, what's wrong, man? (laughs) And it's Jesus with them, and they don't recognize him. Here's my question. Why don't they recognize him? Have you ever thought about that? Like, were they just, like, looking down with their eyes so filled with tears that they didn't recognize him? Check this verse out in, um, oh, where is it? Okay, Mark 16. Matthew, Mark. Mark 16. This is going to put 
a little bit more understanding, a broader understanding to this the story that I just told you. 1612. After that, he appeared in another form to the two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them. Now, you just skipped over a really important word. There's those two guys. They're walking. And it says, after that, he appeared in another form. You know what that, fo- that word means? The original word there is morphe. Morph. What's morph mean? <laughs> what does it mean? Morph. If you morph, you're one way and then you're another way. Somehow in Jesus' resurrected human body, he was not bound to look like you would think he looked. He was able to morph, to have a different form. And that word is used one other place in Scripture. What does the word mean? It means to change shape, to adjust your parts. I find that fascinating. It's found in Philippians 2, where Jesus was found in the likeness of man um, in the form of God, morph. So God, almighty, eternal, without bounds, humbled himself and morphed became a man. And you find here in the Gospels, and that little occasion, the two men are walking, and Jesus is with them, and they don't recognize him. And I don't, I don't know what was different. It says that their eyes were kept from seeing him. His appearance was different. But I find that very interesting about Jesus' physical body, is in some regards, he's not bound like this human body is now. Let's keep talking. Let's keep thinking on that for a little bit. Um, so, is Jesus recognizable? Sometimes. Another time, he's talking to Mary. Remember this? He's in the garden. He asks Mary, and she's expressing her sadness, and he says, Mary. And then she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. I think that's what it means. And then, so. Sometimes. But then you think of Stephen. Remember Stephen? Stephen is getting ready to be stoned. The heavens open up, and what does he say? I see Jesus. He recognizes him. Like there's no like doubt in his mind. Like is he recognizable? Yeah. I wondered, I remember being a little kid and thinking like, if, when I get to heaven, like, um, how will I know David? And how will I know Moses? And how do I know if it's like, if I don't mix up David for Jesus, sir? You will recognize him. In Revelations 1, it says that Jesus is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And the nations will mourn, even those who pierced him. Can you imagine being those who sent him and crucified him? The Romans, the Jews, my sin, 
Those who have not been repented and they see him and they know, they recognize him. Let's keep talking. Um, Jesus has a a resurrected, he has a physical, and he has a glorified body. This is one of those... um, We'll skip over that. When you were a little kid, did you ever want to know, like, like, can I fly when I'm in heaven? Or can I vanish? Or can I walk through walls? I always wondered stuff like that. And, and people are shaking their heads. Yeah. Um, Luke, you can read Luke 24, 31. I, th- I think that's interesting. That's, we'll leave it at that. At Acts 1, 9, the last time that Jesus is seen on earth, he's with his disciples and those who are following him. And all of a sudden, Jesus floats up in the air. By some, he, he, his body does not, is not bound by the, by the rules of this world. Gravity is all of a sudden does not take effect on him. And he just goes where he wants to go. And he is received by the clouds. Scripture says that's how he's coming back. He comes with the cloud. He leaves and the clouds, as if, it's as if creation takes him. And someday he comes back. And all those who are believers will join him in the clouds. That'd be a neat study just to look up the theology of clouds. There's a lot, to, a lot in Scripture about clouds. Um, let's keep talking. His last sighting. <laughs> last sightings Paul said you know I saw him the disciples saw him Paul said I saw him too do you remember that sighting Paul's going down the road he's going to persecute Christians and all of a sudden he's knocked off his horse and Jesus says to him Paul saw saw why do you why do you persecute me Do you remember what he saw? All he saw was just unapproachable light. Like there's something about Jesus that he is preceded by intense light. Who else? John. We're going to end with John. Probably my favorite account of who Jesus is. The resurrected, physical, and glorified Jesus. Revelations 1. We'll go to 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, don't go over that too fast, like John is standing there, and um, behind him, can you imagine standing there, and all of a sudden somebody just blows a trumpet as loud as they can, and that, that is how he describes Jesus' voice, it is loud, piercing, John is, he's shaken by it, and this is what, he, and this is what the voice says. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
Then John says, you can picture him, like, like John's walking this way, he hears this loud voice, like a trumpet. It says that, and John turns to see who is talking to him. And he turns and he says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden. This is a apocalyptic um, talk. So it's, um, I was thinking of that word morph a little bit. And Jesus has the ability right here with his person that John sees Jesus but Jesus is able to take his, um, the way he looks and to capitalize on some amazing things, okay? So it's apocalyptic talk, so it's confusing, but they all stand for things. And Jesus is able to do this. So John turns and he sees uh, seven golden lampstands and in the midst of them, one like the Son of Man, it means he's walking among the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with garments down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. What he's wearing, it's what a priest or a king would wear, something royal that would go the whole way down to the ground. And the, the, the chest band would further signify what a priest would wear. His head was as white like wool, and as white as snow. And you think, that's kind of strange, Jesus. Why would you have like really white hair? What is Jesus getting at? And I think of Moses, who would just be a, a fraction, who just was near God's glory, and his head was just white because he had been close to God's glory. And what we see here with Jesus is the glory of God, and his head is white. It's not that he's an old man. It's that holiness, and all the, the glory is radiating from his face. It's white like wool. It's white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Now somehow... John turns and he sees Jesus' eyes and he says, they're like fire. What is that? Did you ever, I've been thinking about this this past week. There is a lot to being judged by the way somebody looks at you. Did you ever get the look from your parents? You knew, I, I do it to my kids. Like, they just look at my eyes and they know, oh man, I messed up. And Jesus, you look at his eyes, and John says his eyes were like, were like fire. Turn to Hebrews 4.13, and if, I th- if you read the context of this, I would say that this passage has just as or stronger context that it's talking about Jesus than it is for the Bible, and it could be both. Let's start with 12. For the word of God, who is a name for Jesus, 
is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirits of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. That's Jesus. You know what his sight is like? John says, it's like fire. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, and all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom we must give an account. You know, I picture on Judgment Day, people standing before Jesus, and he looks, and people are like, I, I am guilty. There's no question about it. That's all he has to do is just look. And you see his holy radiance, and he looks, and you just know. I, I I'm, Isaiah, you know what he said? I'm undone. I should melt. I should cease to exist. I should lose my mind. John says his eyes were like fire. Let's keep talking. This is who Jesus is. All those ideas of who Jesus was like right there. That's, that's your example of humility, Philippians 2. This is who he is. Let's keep talking. His head mm -hmm. and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his let's stop there for a second. Why would John comment on his feet? Why would Jesus make a, make his feet to appear as fine brass, as if refined by the fire? Because Jesus is capable of any type of judgment and, and carrying out any sentence. Because at the, if you were at a throne, at the foot of the throne is where the judgments took place. And not only is he the judge, but he is also, you read later on, he is the one who um, it's, it talks about in Revelations that he, he stamps out the winepress of his wrath and his feet are hard. And then back to Hebrews, it says that he disciplines those he loves. It's hard, but he, he does it out of love. John says his feet were like brass. That's a fearful thing if you are not if you do not put your trust in him. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And then his voice went from a trumpet, and his voice is the sound of many waters. Me and Jen, we went to Niagara Falls. And you know, just as impressive the falls was the water that led to them. And I would just, we just sat there by the water, and you were just overcome by the noise. It was just, I remember thinking like, this is powerful. Like logs would just be like, taken down the falls, taken down the river, and it was unstoppable. And just the noise of the river. And John says, uh, the sound of his voice as of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now you go back to Hebrews 
and you start to see some parallels there with sharper than a two-edged sword, God's word, what he, what he says is true. It pierces even to the, the depth of joint and marrow. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write all these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Let's go to one more place as we close of who Jesus is. And that's um, Revelations 19. And this is who he is and who he, he is to come. Revelations nineteen, eleven, when he returns. Nineteen eleven. now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was faithful and true. Jesus, he doesn't need a horse. He can fly. But he rides a white horse to show you who he is. Kings return on horses. Jesus returns because he is the king. He rides a white horse, and his name is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. Here we are again. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. Why many crowns? Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. He doesn't just have one kingdom. He, he is king over all. We're going to look at this next time. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. You know, we spent, we spent some time looking at the character of God and we were blown away by God's character in this name. Do you realize there's things about Christ that you don't even know? Like there's character attributes of God you don't even know. Jesus has a name you don't even know. Nobody knows but himself. What does that even mean? It means you'll find out someday. No one knew but himself. 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Most people, I'll just say, some people, when they read this verse, they see it that Jesus has dipped his robe in the blood of because um, he's going to war, but if you read the passage yet, he's on his way to war. So the question is, is whose blood is on the robe? I think it's his own. I think the blood that is on his robe is, you see, I am the one who died and I have returned. Do you see what I'm wearing He was uh, clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God and the armies in heaven that are behind him. They are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Do you know why the armies are clothed white and clean? Because the one who precedes them was dipped in blood and gave his life up. And they follow him. Um, Follow him on white horses. Now out of... Of his mouth goes a sharp sword, 
that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress, and now we're getting back to his feet, the, the brass, hardened feet. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is who Jesus is. Like when, you, when you're worshiping and we're singing these songs, and Jesus is not just an idea that we sing about. And he's not just a guy 2,000 years ago that walked the earth. And we remember the things that he did. Jesus, well, Jesus turned to Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ of God. This is who we sing to. This is who we worship. My, my next question is, is, what is he doing? What's Jesus doing? And that's what we're going to look at the next time we come together. Why don't we um, we'll close with a word of prayer. I'll ask the guys to close our time of worship, and then I have a couple announcements to make. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, even now, you have perfect hearing and you listen. And you listen to our prayers, Lord, and you say, come boldly before the throne because of what you did. Lord, thank you for what you did. I pray, Lord, that um, we would not have small ideas of your Son but we would realize that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords lord help us to think help us always to think rightly of who christ is help us to think biblically lord thank you for your word lord help us to to put aside all of the clichés all of the the things that people just talk about and pictures that people draw lord we have no picture of you lord we just have some descriptions. But Lord, someday we will see you. And we look forward to that, Lord. Lord, help us to worship you, as you said, in spirit and in truth. We ask all these things in your name and because of what you did, Lord, now and forevermore. Amen.